Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we're continuing our series today, Faith and What We Hope For. So let's turn in our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 to 28, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, The Faith of Moses. reading Hebrews 11, 23 to 28. It says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ far greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. You know, Kathy and I have in times past spent time in Egypt, tramping through the ruins of pyramids, ancient temples to Egyptian gods and goddesses, wandering through the Valley of the Kings where so many of the Egyptian pharaoh mummies were found. We once had a guide, a man with his PhD in Egyptology, who read the hieroglyphics from the temple walls and shared with us the the glorious history of Egypt. You know, it really was an amazing experience. And since that time, I've often thought not only of the times of Moses, but also of the writer of the Hebrews' description of the faith of Moses. You know, in order to understand his times, let's go to 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 1. It says, In the 480th year after the people of Israel came out of the land of Egypt, in the fourth year of Solomon's reign over Israel, in the month of Ziv, which is the second month, he began to build the house of the Lord. Well, now here's a date. You know, it can be very difficult to date the events of the Bible because, you know, as you know, the Bible stories don't have a date that's attached to them as we do. You know, the calendar that we have and use would come into use only many, many years later. But the Egyptians, well, they had a very accurate dating system, and much of what we do know of when the events occurred are compared to the dates that we have found in Egypt. And we do know that the year that Solomon became king was also recorded in Egypt, and that year, according to our dating system, would be the year 970 BC. So then the fourth year of Solomon, well, that was the year 966 BC, and then we count back 480 years, just the way 1 Kings 1 tells us to do, and then we realize that the year of the Exodus, well, that was the year that that Israel came out of Egypt, that would have been the year 1446 BC. And the Bible tells us that Moses was, at that time, 80 years old. So then we know, counting back another 80 years, we know that Moses was born in the year 1526 B.C. And interestingly enough, we know a lot about that time period. At that time, the great pyramids of Egypt, well, they were already 1,000 years old, already ancient at that time. Moses was born among an established and ancient people as well as those having an excellent understanding of history. Moses was probably born during the very end of the reign of Pharaoh Amenhotep I, one of the greatest kings who ever reigned in Egypt. He marks the beginning of what has been called the 18th dynasty. It was a period unlike any other. 
You know, many of the great and grand temples that I had the pleasure to visit, including the Valley of the Kings, well, all of that comes from the 18th dynasty. And prior to Amenhotep, Egypt had been invaded by a people who had conquered them. They were a people known as the Hyksos, and Amenhotep succeeded in driving them out of Egypt and in reuniting Egypt under one king, that is, himself. He also began to defeat nations around him and began the work of building Egypt into what would become the greatest empire the world had ever seen up to that point in time. But in order to do that, he had to rid Egypt of all foreign influence. But he had a problem, and there was, as we know, a people group called the Haparu, or the Hebrews, who lived among them. They had a very different religion, and they were plentiful. And since very likely they had already been enslaved by the Hyksos before them, he was content to keep them as his slaves. But as they grew in number, Amenhotep instituted a very cruel policy to kill all the male children in order to cull their numbers. In the last year of his reign, when the policy of killing Hebrew baby boys was firmly entrenched, a little Hebrew boy who, who should have been killed was born. According to verse 23, his parents recognized something about him. They saw, says our text, that he was a beautiful child. Now, I know what you're thinking. What's so important about saying he was a beautiful child? There are very few parents upon the birth of their baby will say, you know, Zowie, that's an ugly kid. Almost every parent thinks their child is beautiful. But something was very different at work here. Moses' parents, who were Amram and Jochebed, recognized that there was a holy destiny that was attached to their child. Somehow they knew that, that God's hand was on this condemned little baby boy of theirs. That was crazy to try to hide him. I mean, those of you who have little ones know that, you know, to hide a newborn who cries at will, sometimes in the middle of the night, when everyone can hear. And whenever baby Moses cried, well, he would have put their whole family in jeopardy. Perhaps they might have all been killed. I mean, after all, every family they knew had baby boys killed in their home. I mean, just submit and you're going to live. But, says Hebrews 11, verse 23, they weren't afraid. In fact, this is the entire point of the story. They had faith. And for three months of hiding, they hid him every night in faith. Four times in this passage we read and we see the words, by faith. I mean, you see them in verses 23, 24, 27, and 28. Let's start with the first one in verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. I think we have here one definition of faith. Faith is the conviction of the hand of God and the destiny that he prepares for his people. See, I need you to notice that what seemed unstoppable the year Moses was born was the growing might of Egypt. I mean, that was unstoppable. You know, a tiny child who may be beautiful, well, that seems like madness to think the destiny belongs to him, does it not? You know, it was, it was Chuck Swindoll who once said, if everyone thinks you're nuts, chances are you're nuts. <laughs> and I agree, and that's funny. But let me suggest that if no one thinks you're nuts, you're probably not a man or a woman of faith. I think that by the time Moses' parents placed him in a little basket, floated him down the Nile, Amenhotep I had died, and the new pharaoh was then Thutmose I, and he began his reign. You know, Thutmose would be a great conqueror, a man of war, 
And this man would have reigned in Egypt all the way through until, let's say, Moses would be 14 years of age. And that leaves us with a question. Who was this daughter of Pharaoh who pulled him out of the Nile as a little basket floated up the summer palace of of Thutmose along the Nile Delta? You'll listen to the Bible account in Exodus chapter 2, verses 5 to 6. It says, Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. And she took pity on him and said, This is one of the Hebrew children. See, it's quite possible that the daughter of Thutmose I was the woman Hatshepsut. In fact, when Moses was 14, Hatshepsut became one of the only female pharaohs in history. In fact, she reigned at the time when the wealth of Egypt was reaching a zenith, and she was a great builder. She added a pair of obelisks to the great temple of Karnak, where Kathy and I visited, and added many new shrines throughout the land. In the Royal Ontario Museum in Toronto, there's a mosaic that tells the story of a great trading venture that Queen Hatshepsut sent to, to what is modern Somalia to bring back to Egypt ivory and gold and precious spices. In fact, because Egypt was establishing itself as the world power, the wealth of the world was entering into it. Let me give you an example. In the Valley of Kings was found the very famous tomb of King Tut. And although he lived a little over 100 years after Moses, one gets the sense of the wealth of the era. The tomb contained literally thousands of pounds of gold that was used for his grave furniture and his mummy mask. His inner coffin alone contained over 3,000 pounds of gold. The picture is one of such wealth and lavishness that in our terms, it's almost incomprehensible. The sacred obelisks would have been covered with gold and the wealth was both obscene and the power and might was unstoppable and Moses was the heir to all of it. So we read verses 24 to 26. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Let this sink in just a bit. With 2022 coming to a close, you may be making plans for 2023 vacations, birthdays, other events. But what about your time spent with God and His Word? It can be challenging to balance our personal devotions with the hustle and bustle of everyday life. But Back to the Bible Canada has a great solution. The 2023 scripture calendar, Freedom in Christ, is designed with stunning images, Bible verses for reflection, encouraging quotes from Dr. John Newfeld, and most important, a daily Bible reading plan to help you read through the Bible in one year. Perhaps that's your commitment for 2023. And the Freedom in Christ calendar is available to you for free. Now there's a limited number left, so call us and ask for your copy today. Call at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. The book of Exodus tells us that the Hebrew slaves were making bricks. They would be made of mud and straw. You know, there's plenty of evidence of that in Egypt. 
People who built the temples, they were craftsmen. People who made mud bricks were low-wage laborers with no skill and no legacy and no importance. And Moses left the imperial might of Egypt for people like that. You know, as a little boy, Moses' parents and his family would have kept in touch with him, and they would have told him the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But as a son of Hatshepsut, he would have been educated at the temple at Karnak. It was a glorious place. It was great luxury, untold wealth, the promise of a great name, and the hope of an unstoppable nation with a glorious history and an even greater future. I have no doubt a great battle might have been raging in the young boy throughout his education. Who does he belong to? Where would it be best for him to place his future? Look, this is not unlike the very thing that happens to us today. How many of you, if your kids are in a secular school, worry about their future? Your battle would have been nothing like the battle of Amram and Jochebed for their son Moses. Or think of the counsel that we give our kids. You know, Johnny and Susie, think about your future. Make decisions that will lead to prosperity and happiness. You know that today, many Christian parents around the world are told that their kids can't go to university if they take them to church. Don't you think Moses should have had a choice to make? Well, of course he did. Look again at verse 24. It says, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, that word refused in the Greek, it's a very strong verb. The verb, for instance, is used in Matthew 10.33 of the warning against denying Christ or refusing Christ. It's used in 1 John 2, verse 22, of the Antichrist who denies or refuses God the Father and the Son. And that's what Moses did. He denied, he rejected, he refused, he renounced and discarded as a small matter the wealth of Egypt. And he decided that the future was with the low-class brick builders. And please understand that he didn't do that when he was in his teens when people might make impetuous decisions they'd be sorry for later. He did it in his late 30s when he was nearing the age of 40. And here's the million-dollar question. Why did he do it? You know, the first clue is found in verse 24, by faith. Now look forward to verse 26. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. See, what's the reproach of Christ? Well, first of all, understand the term Christ means Messiah. From his parents and family, Moses would have heard of the hope of the Messiah. And through Abraham's seed would come the Christ, the Messiah, the ruler and the savior of the world. In other words, Moses was able in faith to look down the corridors of history and see that the Christ would come from a group of uneducated, unskilled, poverty-stricken brickmakers. And he came to a stunning conclusion. The future is with these guys. That's walking by faith and not by sight. And 1,500 years later, on the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses would look on the face of the one for whom he had given up all things, and he would know that it really was worth it all. Now, notice Hebrews 11:26. what it doesn't say. You know, it doesn't say he considered Christ to be greater than the treasures of Egypt. No, it says he considered the reproach of Christ to be greater than the wealth of Egypt. When he considered and put it on a scale, on the one hand, the treasures of Egypt, and on the other hand, the sufferings that he would go through for the sake of Christ, he considered it was no contest at all. And here's the second definition of faith. 
Remember, we said that faith is the conviction of an unstoppable destiny. And second, faith is the conviction of a much greater advantage. Look, you face this all the time. Let's say, and I'm speaking to parents here. Let's say you have a conflict. You have hockey or soccer or violin or ballet that competes with church, and you make a choice as to which is greater advantage for your children, and that choice will show you and everyone else your faith. It will also show whether you have any business standing in the company of Moses. Same is true in in other circumstances. See, I know this. As I look upon the church, the, the much maligned Church of Jesus Christ, with all its warts and blemishes, with its mistakes and failures, with its problems, with gossip going on in the inside and small thinking and egotistical attitudes and our ability to hurt and disappoint one another, and yet I'm convinced of this, that this is the people of God, and I know that this is where the future is. Faith is the conviction of an unstoppable destiny and a much greater advantage of staking your future with a people of God. Verse 27, by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. And there is some uncertainty about, you know, what verse 27 is speaking about. Is this leaving Egypt referring to the time when, you know, Moses fled for his life when he was 40? Or is this leaving of Egypt when he was 80 and leaving on the Exodus? I think the answer is it refers to when he was 80, and here's why. You know, the Bible tells us in the book of Exodus that he left Egypt at 40 and he was afraid. And yet here in in Hebrews 11.27, it says he was not afraid. So why was he afraid when he was 40? fleeing Egypt on his own, and he was not afraid at 80, fleeing Egypt with about 2 million people whom he needed to care for and feed and protect and who might be chased and killed by the Egyptians. Look again at verse 27. He endured as seeing him who was invisible. Moses had stood at the foot of Mount Sinai, and there he was drawn to a burning bush, and there he saw him who cannot be seen. Now, while Moses was gone, Hatshepsut had died, and and a new pharaoh, Thutmose III, ruled, who was considered the greatest conqueror in Egyptian history. The power Moses knew while in Egypt had kicked into high gear. And from any vantage point at this time, if, if you'd been a casual observer, you'd say, Moses made the wrong decision. The guy's hanging out in a barren desert with a couple of sheep, and he's got nothing, and he's made the wrong decision. But it didn't matter. He had seen him who was invisible. That's always true, isn't it? Show me a man or woman who has stood in the presence of God, and I will show you a man or a woman who will overcome obstacles. I will show you a man or woman of courage. I will show you a man or woman who can't be defeated. And that brings us to the third definition of faith. Faith is the conviction of an invisible God. I think that's unmistakably true, that people who live for advantage here and now have not seen the invisible God, which explains why they have no faith. They run after advantage in this world and so testify they cannot see him who is invisible. Verse 28, by faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. I hope you see the irony in this verse. You know, the story of Moses begins with Pharaoh killing the firstborn of Israel. And it now climaxes with God killing the firstborn of Pharaoh. Moses returned to Egypt when a new king had begun to reign, and his name was Amenhotep II. 
And history tells us that he was a great athlete, great warrior, very arrogant young man who had just inherited the greatest nation on the face of the earth. And before Moses arrived, he had already crushed the Syrians and demanded oaths of loyalty from all world leaders. It was this man, Amenhotep, whose name means, great are the manifestations of the sun god, Amun-Re. He believed himself to be a god. It was this man that Moses came to and pointed his gnarly finger into his face and said, without fear and with conviction, let my people go. Nine plagues followed and the proud Amenhotep was broken down. And then came the Passover. Blood is sprinkled on the doorposts of the Hebrew houses. And then comes the destroyer who kills every firstborn in Egypt. You know, I once stood in the Valley of Kings outside of Amenhotep's tomb. And what fascinated me is that although the Valley of Kings is crowded out with tourists, no one was visiting Amenhotep's tomb. He became a man of obscurity. Ah, I love to ask, have you heard of Moses? Yeah, you have. Have you heard of Amenhotep? Well, maybe. And with that comes the final definition of faith. We have seen that faith is the conviction of an unstoppable destiny, the conviction of a much greater advantage, and the conviction of the invisible God. But I also know that faith is convinced where the final triumph lies. And so as we enter a new year, this is our question. Shall we rely on what our eyes see, or shall we rely on the promises of God? Moses, the boy who heard of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then came to believe in the Messiah, had no hesitations. He knew where he stood. Do you? John, I, I love the reference you made to Chuck Swindoll. If people think you're nuts, you're probably nuts, and it's probably true. But there is something to be said that we should be looking somewhat unique or different from the norm. Is that true? Yeah, you know, uh, Ben, it is so amazing. I mean, if we just think about um, the wealth that would have been Moses, and to actually let go of that, uh, listen to the story that his mother and his father must have told him about the promise that are there in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the eternal destiny, so shall your offspring be like the sand on the seashore and like the stars in the heavens. I mean, my goodness, who believes that? Well, Moses did, and uh, that's the man who's commended by faith. So, I mean, the promises of God are staggering if we look at them and think about them. So, yep, I guess we're nuts. <laughs> Thanks so much, John. Remember to join us again tomorrow as we conclude our series, Faith and What We Hope For, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Christmas is more than family traditions, gifts, and festive music. Christmas is a promise kept. God promised to send a Savior, and Christmas is the fulfillment of that pledge. Christmas is the assurance that faith and the promise of God will not be disappointed. For this reason, Back to the Bible Canada is committed to the teaching of God's Word, and your dependable support enables the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada to fulfill that mission. As 2022 draws to a close, many listeners consider a special gift as an expression of their support for faithful, trustworthy Bible teaching. This year, our goal is to raise $519,000 by December 31st. This will allow Back to the Bible Canada to enter 2023 prepared to respond to the increasing need 
and opportunity to engage the world around us with solid Bible teaching you can trust. To give a gift to the year-end goal, just call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.